Welcome to Summon Your Superhuman. I'm your host, Ria Mestiza, holistic health coach, mind-body performance practitioner, and this is the Pull the Curtains Back insight into how everyday superheroes have experienced tapping into their superhuman potential. To go from fear, frustration, and struggle to soaring next-level astronomical heights, I believe we all have more amazing within us than we know. I believe we all have unique superpowers, and I believe we all deserve to be our superhuman best. So let's dive in. Today on Summon Your Superhuman, we have an extraordinary individual that I've had the pleasure of meeting. His name is John Mueller. Did I pronounce that right, John? <laughs> That's how everybody says it, but we say Mueller. Oh, but, Mueller. Uh, my apologies. Like- it looks like Mueller. That's I'm, I've been called that my whole life. So. Oh, my apologies. But okay. well, we uh, thank you for 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 joining us today, John. I'm super excited about learning more about your story. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. It's so nice. I'm so happy to be on your podcast and support you. So I interviewed you a while ago, and now, uh, yeah, we're doing it again. So I just I love this opportunity to to chat. We've swapped the hot seats. Yes. <laughs> Which is the hotter seat, though? Being interviewed or interviewing? The interviewee, I think. <laughs> I anticipate that you'll be doing most of the talking today. <laughs> <laughs> so starting with, uh, because you have such a unique role in what you do. So I'd love you to just introduce uh, what you're about and, and, and what you, you do for a living. Sure. Yeah, so right now I do coaching. So I'm a spiritual coach and a business coach for other spiritual healers and coaches. But yeah, my that's not super unique, I guess. But my my story is pretty unique. So um, I went to school for psychology. I was interested in people, the mind, how to help people, how to improve myself, and I wound up finding that spiritual practices had more answers than. Uh, psychology textbooks and that spiritual practitioners were better role models than the people who were the experts of psychology. Mm-hmm. Those are just some of the things that I figured out. And so it made me want to find out more about different spiritual practices. So I did, I started to read books and uh, just find people, take workshops and courses and stuff. And um, what touched me the most was Buddhism. So I just picked up a book that my mom had given me on Buddhism and I picked it up like I wasn't ready for it when she first gave it to me. I picked it up later. It like blew my mind. Like I was so ready for something like that. And it just, it awakened my mind, like different parts of my mind that it felt like I had never used before. And I started to practice it. It felt really good. Um, My life became, you know, quite good and profound. I, I became like a mentor for people around me. It was, it was really interesting because I was, I was just finishing up college and I was still like, I still had friends in a fraternity. Mm-hmm. So it was just like, it was like all of a sudden I became like a spiritual being and um, just in surrounded by people who, who just not only were they not, but they had never seen me that way either. So and you did you finish your psychology degree? Yeah, 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 I have a bachelor's degree in psychology. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, later on, I became a uh, credentialed substance abuse counselor. So wow. I, I did counseling for people who were addicted to substances like drugs and alcohol. And uh, this was 
it was good because what I wanted to do was be a therapist. And this was a good stepping stone to get me in line to do that, to be like a real licensed therapist. However, one of my clients told me about a Buddhist temple that was nearby. And so I just went to go check it out. He's like, it's the only one like it in the whole country. It's very beautiful. You should just go, just go see it. And so I did, and I basically never left. I lived there for four and a half years. I became a monk. I did so many retreats. I was on teacher training program. I just like immersed myself beyond what most people believe is possible to immerse themselves in, in this, in this culture, in the, in the Western world. Right. And so, um, so wait a minute. So hang on. So you went, you went to this temple and what was your intention by going there? What did you anticipate you were going to do? Um, I just thought it was a nice, I just went to go see the place Mm -hmm. and they they happened to have a class that night. Okay. So they invited me to the class. It was $10 and I was like, okay. And I went and I loved it. It was really just what I was looking for. And all my training that I had in psychology and spiritual practices, I hadn't really learned a lot about meditation. I learned a little bit, but I hadn't gotten like real expert guidance, like one-to-one you know, in person with, with someone who really knew, like I learned about it from books and stuff and I was practicing too, but I hadn't really received it in a big way that made it. So I was practicing. I wasn't like a deep practitioner of it. The mm. first book on Buddhism that I found didn't really instruct you how to meditate. It just gives you all the ph- philosophical kind of tools and ways of thinking that are nice, but I, I kind of needed, I knew I needed a meditation practice. So mm-hmm. um, the class was like just what I was looking for. It was like deep. It was down to earth. It was like practical. It was like simple enough that I could do it, but it was like, it had so much depth contained within it. Mm-hmm. And obviously I could only access so much yeah. uh, my first time, but it was, it was just my impression of it when I walked away was, wow, this is exactly what I was looking for. And the class happened to be the introduction to a whole month of retreat. So I went right. during the most special time of the year for that tradition of Buddhism, um, January. And so I just went, I just happened to go. They, they happened to have a class. It was the introduction to the whole month of retreat. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, I want to come back tomorrow. I went on a Friday and they're like, yeah, if you want to come tomorrow, it's $5 per session. And uh, the sessions are an hour and a half long. They're very deep. And um, yeah, they're like, yeah, here's the schedule, four sessions. And so I went back the next day and I just, what started happening was I, I kept going uh, for that whole month or for the first three weeks. I went in the morning at 7.30 before work. In the evening, after work, I went and ate dinner with everybody and then went to the evening 7.30 session. Mm-hmm. And then on the weekends, I did all four sessions on both weekends for uh, except for that very first week. And so I just kind of jumped all the way in right from the start. Really? <laughs> and really? yeah, but my intention kept being like, wow, I love this. I just, I want a little bit more. Like I just, I just saw that it had more to offer and I liked what I was seeing. I liked the people I was meeting. It was like the first time I could have real like spiritual discussions with people. I, I had, I was living at home at the time. Mm-hmm. with my parents I had moved back in with them and uh, you know they were humoring me but I really wanted people to talk to uh, about spiritual things you know with so I would like corner my mom and like hey there's this kind of 
verse of like the Tao Te Ching. Can we talk about this? And she was, you know, like I wanted to have discussions like yeah, that, yeah. and they just they weren't the right people to do it with. And so when I finally found a community of people, some of them were young people too, like real, like normal young people, you know, like myself, I was just like, wow, not only do I get to like hang out with them, talk with them. Like I, I loved the example that I was seeing, like the people who had been practicing for a while, they were, they were confident, happy, kind, peaceful, loving. And I was just like, wow, these are great people. Mm-hmm. And so the teachings must work. Right. And I knew I liked it. I, you know, I wasn't any good at meditation when I started. I fell asleep every single time, pretty much. Yeah. And um, yeah, but I just knew I liked it and that I wanted more. And that, that was it. And that just got me going the next step, the next step, the next step. That's so fascinating. I, I have to admit the first few times I started meditating, I fell asleep too. <laughs> it's normal. Yeah, it's normal. The yeah. mind is trying to get more subtle mm-hmm. and at the moment, we don't know how to have our mind be subtle and awake at the same time. The yeah. only time that we allow our mind to get subtle is when we're sleeping. And so we just, we follow that in and we just usually just fall asleep. But with practice, we can learn to stay awake and mindful while the mind is, is quite subtle. Mm-hmm. And that's it's just a practice. I also love how this new chapter re- opened up for you. You know, you received this book from your mom and I, I, I'm a firm believer that books find you when you're ready for it. You know, it could be sitting on your shelf for years and then all of a sudden it shines out at you and you're like, oh yeah, I forgot I had this. And then you, you open it up and it's like transformational, um, which is amazing. You know, and your mom, like you said, she's the one that gave you the book. But then in turn, when you were like, let's talk about this. And she's like, eh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's true. When she had first given me the book, she, or no, when I first, I don't remember when she gave it to me, but when I first picked it up, she was, she was going through chemotherapy. And so she had become, she thought she was going to die. So she had become very spiritual. And then later when she found out she was not going to die, she got a little bit more normal. (laughs) 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 But anyway, no, I think she's still spiritual, but she just, my parents don't show it that much, but they have, they have depth. But um, yeah. So you were at this point where you, you, you fully immersed yourself. You're still working the normal life, but. For six months. For the first six months, right. mm-hmm. I kept my job. Then I um, then I quit because I was going to graduate school. So I went to graduate school for the next eight nine months or so mm-hmm. uh, for two, you know two semesters, well one and a half semesters. And the graduate school was supposed to help me to become a real licensed therapist. Yeah. But the only problem was by the time I did I did one semester, but I just was figuring out it wasn't really what I wanted to do. And then I preferred these spiritual solutions that I was learning mm. and I was finding it really beneficial. I could find more meaning and value and, and like depth in one sentence of these Buddhist books that I was reading than an entire like 13 page scholarly article pretty much is what was happening. Like I would, you would read a whole article in these classes, mm-hmm. you'd find something good, but it takes the whole article to get to it. Whereas in a spiritual, and it's not even like the most profound thing ever. They're, it's usually pretty good, but mm-hmm. 
in these spiritual books that I was learning from at the temple, uh, every line is like life-changing almost. And every page, for sh- every paragraph has many life-changing pieces in it. And so mm-hmm. I just felt like a better usage of my energy. And plus, I knew it was helpful. I had been practicing. I ended up dropping out of graduate school. And by the time I did, um, I had been practicing Buddhism in a deep way for over a year. And wow. so I knew that... Um, I knew that it was very helpful. I knew it was working. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was still was very new in my practice, to be honest, and pretty. I was pretty immature spiritually too. But I, I still knew that it worked and that I liked it. So I eventually just dropped out of school and went like full on in at the temple without anything that I had to do outside. But what happened was. I thought that I was going to make more usage of my time. Like with more time, I thought I would make more progress, but it wasn't true. I didn't have the capacity to practice that much. And without a structure, it can be easy to just like let your days like drag on and care and just like, you just got to get sloppy. So Mm -hmm. uh, at the advice of my parents and teacher, I got um, a part-time job and I found that to be the best balance was like living in the temple, being fully immersed, but also working off site two, three days a week was a really good balance for me because you don't really miss anything. It's a very deep, Mm -hmm. you know, but it's enough of the outside world to give you something challenging to practice with. Like the practice has to happen in application with regular life. And if you're just like at a temple where everyone's nice to you, it's yeah. not that easy to practice certain ways. Plus just like the structure of having to get up and go do something kind of gets the mind in a, to a certain rhythm where um, mm. it's just, it just easier to work with. It does sound like a beautiful balance. Were you practicing uh, as a therapist in that part-time work you were doing? So you were, were you working with patients? No, at that time, um, could, uh, at that time, w- when I was in graduate school, I had an internship doing substance abuse counseling as well. Right. So I had done that more than just that one year. But my part-time job mostly was substitute teaching in schools. Okay. Um, I had previously done that. Um, it was just easy. There was a bunch of s- schools nearby. So, so high school, uh, middle schools mostly, mm-hmm. uh, sub uh, which was cool because I got to pick my schedule just in the morning. You know, they would just a little app tells you all the positions that are open and you can just, if you wake up early enough, you can just get one. And um, it was, that was, that was, I needed a flexible thing. And I also did construction. So I would, wow. I got different jobs because I had previously done that too. I used to work construction mm-hmm. during the summer as well as in college with my friend's dad mm-hmm. and uh, so I, I I really enjoyed that work. So I, I was pretty good at finding construction construction jobs, including even a full-time construction job for a while too, when I really needed the money. Great. Yeah. So when you, when you started this journey of, you know, you, you just, that initial moment, like what was like, I, you fell in love with this practice. You went to this class, you fully immersed yourself were you finding that that initial inspiration was that 
your internal calling to go within yourself to, you know, to define yourself so you could better find, like help other people? What, what was that initial spark, mm. do you think? It's mm. a great question. I do think that a huge driving force in my life was this thought, I'm going to improve myself so that I can help others. Mm-hmm. So that had been a driving force in my life for, for a while already, but I'm over there. So yes, and um, I had a very difficult breakup happen, you know, earlier, like several, you know, almost a year, well, maybe six months or nine months before that. And mm-hmm. I was just not in that good of a place before I went there. Mm-hmm. Like I was doing work as a counselor, like I was able to help people, I guess, but in my, you know, for myself, I was stressed. I was realizing life isn't very meaningful. I just was disconnected from the meaning of life. And I just knew like, there's gotta be more to life than this. I had gotten used to seeing myself through the eyes of my partner. Mm. And when we were together, she really loved me. And she thought I was the coolest, best person in the whole world. And then all of a sudden, not only is she not seeing me this way and I don't have her to see me that way um she started to dislike me right and so um i was left not knowing who i was as well i didn't know who i was i didn't have somebody outside me helping me to see myself in a positive way Mm. and obviously that was my mistake for needing somebody else's view of me to be how i saw myself but as i said like i just i was in desperate need of like spiritual tools And to my credit, I didn't, even though my life was, you know, it was like boring at best. It was also, it felt meaningless sometimes. It just wasn't very good. Um, I was living at home during that time. And so a lot of my friends from home were not the kind of people who I really would want to talk to. I was a substance abuse counselor, but most of them were still drinking or smoking pot. And I just didn't. You know, I didn't have anything in common with them anymore. But um, yet, to my credit, I didn't fill up my life with distracting crap. Like I didn't try to run away from that pain, from those bad feelings, from the whatever was going on inside the suffering mm-hmm. that was inside, feeling life is meaningless and really dull and everything else. Like I didn't try to escape that pain. I didn't run away. I didn't distract myself and fill up my life with crap so that when I did find the temple, I, yeah, I recognized it as being something great, but I really, I knew that it was helpful. Like I really needed it. Plus I had so much space in my life. I had so much space in my life to jump in. My parents wanted me to leave. They were like, they didn't, they weren't like kicking me out, but they were like, all right, it's time for you to go now. Come on. Like me and my dad were like clashing. We were both like, mm. you know, alpha men in a sense. And we were just clashing because yeah. I was, I was, at the, I was 25. Okay. And so that was just what it was. And um, so, yeah, I just had the perfect amount of suffering and space mm. in my life so that when the thing came along, I was able to just run with it. That's beautiful. And it's a very profound point that you make. And thank you for sharing that. So that it's just so beautiful the way that you said it, because a lot of people, especially going through what you went through, uh, would 
try to shelter themselves by escaping, you know, for lack of better words. And, but you, I think probably because of your education with, with seeing, you know, other people and, and, and identifying, you know, all that internal awareness that, okay, this is happening to me. These are the feelings that I felt. I've put way too much uh, meaning behind that relationship. And now I need to go within and, and rediscover who I am as a man. And mm. I think that especially as a man, because you most would try to mask that. And so I really admire the fact that you that you've identified this this opportunity to go within to find yourself to that inner essence and and dedicate your time 100% to that like that was that's incredible. Mm. It really is. Thank you. I mm. think that I have I have imprints um, of practicing Buddhism in previous lives. And so I think those were able to kind of help me to make good choices up until I found it again in this life. Mm. I'm pretty sure that's, that's what it was. Cause I, uh, as you said, like, you know, you said my training, but I just, I don't think my training was really the thing that was guiding me. I think you're right. A lot of people wouldn't do that. And I notice even these days, mm. sometimes, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm, I notice when my mind, if it gets uncomfortable and that there can be a, a uh, impulse to like, do something to cover it up. And, and I think that that's something that we all, that we all kind of go through. There's so many distractions these days and yeah. growth is, growth is always uncomfortable. Growth happens in, in um, the space of the unknown, which is uncomfortable. And so, yeah, I, I, I understand that it's just not the thing that people, not everybody's just going to sit with it. And I feel like, it wasn't my training in this life that helped me to do that. It was, I think I had practiced something like some spiritual paths, probably Buddhism in a previous life. And I just had an inner sense that I shouldn't do that. Yeah. That's beautiful. And it's true. Instinctually, I think we our go-to is to run is to mask it. Um, so now you're at this point. So I'm just going to take it back in the story where, You've been doing it now for six months. You found that balance. You're you're working, so you've you've got that little quote normalcy, you know, to your life as well as this full immersion in spiritual, your other spiritual reality, and you're growing into that. So, six months in, what was the next step then? Because you you, you just threw it in there. You did it for four and a half years. So let's we're we're at the six month mark. So what was next? Six months. Okay. So um, I let. So I had um. I went on a trip. So every summer there's a summer festival mm -hmm. in England that everybody in the traditional Buddhism tries to go to. So uh, there was a certain empowerment and I just kind of, I had enough money saved up. And so I decided to go. And so I left my job. Uh, I was going to be going to school in this, uh, you know, in that fall semester anyway, but I left my job in in time to just to go to the semester, go to the summer festival mm -hmm. and then have a little time off before I started school. And yeah, the empowerment was very deep. It was, it was an initiation into a, um, a tantric practice, which is like a profound way of practicing meditation. Basically it's a mm. tantra gets a kind of a dirty name. It's, it's, it's meditative. 
the, the Tantra that I've practiced is purely meditational. At very high levels of accomplishment, somebody can go into union with somebody else, but it's not sex. And it's not, it's not designed as a, um, yeah, it's, it's not just normal sex. And that, that it only works if you've been able to meditate at extremely advanced levels that most people in the world don't even know exist. So anyway, I got a tantric initiation. It was like, it was a good step for me to start practicing deeper, deeper things. Again, my mind was still new. Like I was still an infant. I was spiritually an infant at that time. And mm -hmm. I just know that because I hardly even remember or connect to the way I used to think. But I was just kind of, I just knew that each new step was like cool or good or something was nice about it. So I, would, I just wanted to do more. So um, I joined teacher training program at that six month point two when I came back from the trip and um, yeah, I did, did that. And uh, wait, is that why? No, I didn't. Sorry. I didn't join teacher training program until a year and a half in, but um, yeah, I, uh, I just kind of, yeah, I went to school. So the school was um, two days. I would travel to New York city. So it was an hour and a half trip or two hours or two and a half hours, depending on what mode of transportation, two days a week working as an intern. And yeah, I mean, my life was still pretty external at that point. I still had a lot of external things that I was doing during that first semester. I was still focused on career mm -hmm. as being like a thing I knew. Eventually I was figuring out that the school wasn't like the best thing, but at the time I was just enjoying it. I was making friends in New York City I had a girlfriend who lived in New York City that I met at the temple and she lived in the city. And so I would go to school then, you know, see her mm -hmm. and sometimes stay with her. And it was fun. I mean, I was just kind of living the life of a 26 year old at the time <laughs> who had a cool thing that I was living at a temple. I was a 26 year old guy who lived at a temple, wanted to help people, wanted to help myself. Uh, I, thought, I still thought I was going to be a therapist. Mm -hmm. And uh, for that first semester, that's pretty much what it was. Um, yeah, then what, then I don't know. Um, every, yeah, I did, you know, there's always lots of retreats. I did lots of retreat. The next semester is when I decided to drop out of school. I think that's when things started to get really real for me was like the following spring. So at that point, I had been there for maybe 15 months. Um, Whenever I decided to drop out of school, that's when I was like taking kind of like a leap of faith mm -hmm. into that tradition and just being like, this is the direction I want to take my life. I want to be a meditation teacher. I want to become what they call a resident teacher. So like the main teacher of a, of a center. I wanted that. And my teacher encouraged me. He said, he, you know, this would be a good path for you. And so um, with his guidance, I, I dropped out of school and I just kind of, tried to be all in even more at the temple, which, as I said, I wasn't able to capitalize on because mm -hmm. I just, even though I had all day, I couldn't practice all day. I just couldn't, my, I was just not capable of practicing meditation and spiritual things all day. I, I <laughs> you know, I didn't have the capacity to do that. So I ended up getting a lot from my time, but adding in eventually adding in a couple of days a week of work um, helped because yeah, I started teaching meditation classes and it gave me real life examples 
to teach about. Does that make sense? So like, yeah. you know, I had a life that was similar at least a couple of days a week to what other people had. And so I was able to teach how to practice these teachings in the context of a normal day, mm-hmm. which is what the tradition I was in, you know, does. So yeah, it's, it's interesting because yeah, you said, you said a few things there. You, you went all in, you know, you, you decided, okay, this is my heart's calling. I'm, I'm all in, but then it's like, you still needed that outside source of feedback from the world, I suppose we'll call it. And then you, the word you used was you didn't feel you had the capacity to, to go within all day. I didn't feel I had the capacity. I just, in observation of myself, Mm -hmm. I wasn't able to make good use of all that time. Okay. If that makes sense. Okay. So, so like getting an outside job didn't detract from mm-hmm. anything. It didn't take away precious moments that I was like capitalizing on. I had, I had extra time is okay. what I'm saying. All right. All right. Cool. So it was, you, you were feeding, you were feeding multiple parts of yourself, you know, that, that desire to be <laughs> able to, to do that, but also, you know, create an income and give back to the outside as well. Yeah. Is that sort of correct? Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah, I was able to help people, right? Like the kids thought I was like the coolest substitute ever. Um, <laughs> I don't <you> know. doubt that. <laughs> <laughs> I was, no, I really was. Like, I, mm-hmm. uh, they probably thought I was weird too because I would like meditate any moment I could get. <laughs> and people don't know what's happening when you're trying to meditate. So they think that you're sleeping. <laughs> I, mean, I think some of the other teachers probably thought I was weird because in the faculty lounge during breaks, Sometimes I would just meditate, I would be like in a 40 minute break and just meditate the entire way through like deep transformative meditations. And I had access to that because I was living in a temple. And so I was used to meditating really, really deep. And so I work one day, of course I can go back there, but they don't know what's happening. And they just see, why is this guy sitting down in the faculty room with his eyes closed the whole freaking time? Like, who is this? So I didn't care. I was past the point of caring at all what other people thought. I was doing my thing. And uh, <laughs> I probably left people feeling different kinds of ways, which is totally okay with me. But, yeah. um, well, that's great. But it's also, I think it was also at a time where it wasn't as popular as it is now because, you know, we are going back a little while and it's, it wasn't as mainstream. Meditation wasn't as mainstream then as it is now, you know. Would you agree? I mean, it, this wasn't that long ago, but yeah. yeah, I guess. I think the same thing would happen now. I, I honestly think if I was in the schools, like even though meditation may be slightly more mainstream now, in, in the school scenario, it's still not part of it. Mm. But I don't know if it's mainstream enough that uh, it, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't, I don't know that it's changed that much in the last five years. But maybe maybe it has okay so where are we at now are we like a few years into your so one and a half so one <laughs> and a half year, one and a half years in okay um i um i went again for the summer got got like a, a higher level um high yoga tantra empowerment it's called mm-hmm. um which in, like fully initiated me into like the highest practices at that time, I also started teaching a meditation class 
once a week. And I also joined teacher training program. And that was, that, those are big, those are all big moments. Mm. Um, I also took uh, what's called the Pratimoksha vows, which is a vow of personal liberation, meaning I vow to not kill, lie, steal, cheat, or take intoxicants. So I wasn't a monk, but I took that vow mm-hmm. around that time too. So I just had a bunch of like meaningful things all happen at the same time. And yeah, I started teaching meditation classes, which was a really good way for me to practice. Like I would think about it all week. I would practice it. I would like uh, figure out how to convey a topic the best way. And um, it, it leveled my practice way up having to teach because when you teach something, you, you think about it more deeply and you ask yourself like, why, why is this true? Well, how does this really work? Yeah. And, and blah, blah, blah. And it, so that was really helpful for me. Yeah. Um, also the teacher training program was very in depth. It was like, it was eight hours per week, which may not seem like that much, but um, you know, when you're doing that every week for years, like it adds up. Yeah. <laughs> so, eight hours per week. Plus I was attending all like lots of other classes and now I was teaching a class. So mm-hmm. I figured out for a while I was attending or teaching an average of 10 classes per week. Wow. I taught one of those, but most of the other ones mm-hmm. I was attending, that's a lot, right? If, if the class is an hour and a half or two hours long, which they all are mm-hmm. either an hour and a half or two hours, not even counting all the chanted prayers, just the classes, yeah, which include meditation. That's a lot, right? Ten. So that's like a that's like a part. That's like a twenty hour per week thing. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so that's around that time is when I leveled up to that level, and yeah, it was it. That was that was probably the most helpful thing for me was just having so much more time and exposure. Um. That year I did a very deep, uh, so that winter, so now we're at the two year mark, mm-hmm. that winter I did a, a 30 day uh, retreat where I did a hundred thousand mantras and you just do this retreat in like a little room with like only the other people on that retreat are allowed in. So there's like 10, 15 of us, maybe, maybe 20 of us all doing the retreat together and literally like eight to 10, maybe 12 hours a day you're in the room meditating and saying mantras <laughs> and wow. prayers. And so that retreat was super deep. And that's when I realized that I needed to get ordained. During that retreat, I received the blessing that the right way for me was to become a monk. And so after the retreat, I talked to my teacher about it. And uh, during this time, I had I had been having girlfriends here and there. Mm-hmm. right? And so... I was realizing that I was more peaceful without a relationship, that I liked myself better when I wasn't in one because the relationship brought up like mental stickiness and it brought up identities in myself that were just not my highest expression. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying like those things can't be worked with, but I just noticed that. Plus I received this blessing. Plus I just, I was inspired by ordination. So I put all these things together. My teacher had never really encouraged me or discouraged me before he just let me figure it out on my own and didn't tell me anything but after this when i talked to him he really encouraged me and said oh i think you'd love it and if you want to do it you should do it this year so i was only 27 when i told him that um 
I got ordained that summer when I was 28. And basically what I did was for every, uh, every day for one day at a time in private, I took the vows of a monk. So I didn't tell anybody else this is what I was doing. But every day I just took the ordination vow for one day and just lived like that and just saw how do I feel? Do I like this? Do I not like this? Is it easy? Is it hard? Can I really keep this? Mm-hmm. And because it was just one day, I knew, okay, I can keep this vow for one day. And I just got happier and happier and happier every day. And eventually, so that just let me know, okay, this is this is a good fit. So I became a monk. That was helpful because when you're a monk and when you look like a monk, people mm-hmm. don't try to small talk with you. They just get right to the good stuff. And so, <laughs> you know, I, I was there to help people, right? My life was all about service. Mm -hmm. And I really had some tools at that point where I could help people. And when people see me looking like a normal young man, they don't know. Mm -hmm. Even if I'm at a temple, they don't, they don't actually know. But when I was among one of those, like the surprise benefits was um, I had a lot more meaningful conversations. I became like a target for meaningful conversations and that it allowed me to help people better. It, it took, it, there's sometimes there's stuff in the way of connecting with the person. Yeah. And especially as a young man, if there's a woman and she is in a situation where she needs help, that can, there can be like an invisible barrier in the way of her opening up. Mm-hmm. But as a monk, I was able to get closer to people because it was clear there were no ulterior motives. Yeah. And as a result, the connection was able to happen fast and mm-hmm. deep and then I could help people. So it allowed me to help people better. It kept me on my own track. I was 28, like I was in my athletic prime. Like mm-hmm. I would have gotten probably married and had kids if I didn't do I'm just guessing. Yeah. Even though I didn't, I wouldn't have said that's what I do. Like that could have happened. It could have just happened. And Definitely. what happened was I stayed on this kind of like narrow track for years without really going far off of it which allowed me to just go deeper and deeper and deeper in my own practice, which is difficult sometimes. Like talk about being with your own mind. Like, man, I know my mind now better than I think most people do because I've spent so much time with it without distractions. And being a monk was very helpful for this. There's really no replacement, I don't think, for anyone. Anyone can attain enlightenment. It doesn't matter if you're a monk or not, but... For me, it was helpful. I'll just put it that way. And um, yeah, I uh, hope that answers your question. <laughs> this, that brings about many more questions. <laughs> like that's just, I'm taking it all in, like the the commitment and dedication to not only your practice and 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 this this now you knew, okay, I I want to be ordained as a monk. Um, and I love the fact that your teacher had never encouraged you, you know, the best mm. teacher and the best coach, I believe are the ones who don't tell you what to do. They just help lead you down the path and then yeah. you discover it for yourself. And then you put yourself into that commitment where I'm going to dedicate a day each week, uh, and see how I feel, see if it, it feels right. And then the speaking about that elimination of, spiritual barriers where you know you don't you don't have to make the small talk or you don't have to make the connections you know like oh tell me about yourself it was just straight to the good stuff Mm -hmm. and that's so again so profound because 
you know, I mean, as you know, as, as, a, as a coach, when we meet people and we're in our, you know, normal everyday attire, it's like, hi, I'm John. Hi, I'm Rhea. Oh, tell me about your, you know, and you go through all this sort of stuff, but that, that would just be so amazing to just go into this deep connection straight away with people where it's just like essence, you know? Yeah. It's just exactly. Amazing. It's like being a symbol for a meaningful life. And that's part of the, the joy and the benefit of ordination is it, it becomes, yeah, you become a symbol. You, it's not just the inner practice anymore. Mm. And the inner practice is the main part, but like, we live in a society where people respond to visual things. Mm-hmm. And so demonstrating your inner qualities with your outer expression, your outer garb, so to speak, yeah. is, is helpful to allow people to understand who you are and what you do. And so even still now, I tell people I used to be a monk because it's the one thing I can say that allows them to understand me the fastest. Mm. but there's nothing else I can say to someone that gets us getting each other, you know, faster or better than that. Cause even though I'm not a monk anymore, it still feels like it in a lot of ways. I'm still a big yeah. part of, of me mm-hmm. and definitely a part of who I, you know, what I've done. So hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. That you can't just drop that, you know, it's, you may not wear the title anymore, but it's still a part of who you are and your soul. So that's beautiful. All right. So we, we are now where, so this is what, two and a bit years into your. Two and a half. Two and, two and a half. half years okay. in. Yeah. As I said, I took, I took that ordination vow mm-hmm. every day for one day at a time mm-hmm. until, for six months. Then finally in the summer, I uh, got ordained 2014 summer. Um, I was 28 and um, I went on a retreat after that, uh, during that summer which changed my whole life. So the ordination was good and whatever, but what I was learning and just full of honesty, transparency is I was learning about myself that my meditation practice wasn't really working that well at that point. I was having problems with my meditation practice. It just, I wasn't feeling that peaceful. It just didn't feel like I was meditating properly to be honest. I just, I was getting that sense. And one of my teachers who lived in New York city he would come up to visit a lot. I just remember seeing him during the the summer festival and just seeing how joyful and relaxed and like authentically like happy and confident he is. And I just thought like, wow, he's really like I want I want to learn how to meditate from him. And that right after that festival, I went to a one week retreat with him in Spain, where he taught basically like his own style of meditation. It was like the nuts and bolts, like from the ground up, building a very deep meditation practice in a different way. And I was so ready for it. Just like before I went to the temple, I I knew my problems enough that I was able to jump in. Mm-hmm. It was the same with meditation here. And so even though I've been practicing for two and a half years and I just became a monk, I was still, I needed to seriously readjust the way that I was meditating. And I did that during this retreat. I, I learned a very different and unique way to meditate and it changed my entire life. From that point, I've, I've meditated extremely differently and it's, um, it's a practice, but there's certain very special things that you can do in meditation that I just didn't know how to do before. And I just, 
learned them and just kept practicing so deeply, it like reignited my passion for meditation. Mm-hmm. And I started, te- eventually I started teaching this style and not, you know, once I got good at it, I was able to teach this expression and yeah, that kind of, you know, that carried me for the next couple of years. And basically I left the temple in 2016. I went on a, a nine week spiritual trip where two of them was a, you know, this festival that I went to every year. One of them was a silent retreat with a hundred people for a week. Then I did a week like of work and volunteer. Then I did five weeks of um, solitude and silent retreat. So just by myself for five weeks, no talking, no eye contact with anyone for five weeks and no technology. I was just, it was like in a, in a little cave. I was in a, you know, <laughs> it was like a modern day cave. My meals were brought to me in like a little tin every day. And this was five weeks of, of re- deep retreat where I did a lot of mantras and meditation. Mm-hmm. It was five weeks of retreat after four weeks of deep immersion too. So my mind was really like mm. in tune by the time the retreat started. And basically um, that again changed my whole life. As soon as that retreat was over, I moved to Florida. My mind was at the highest vibrational frequency it had, had ever been before i was really peaceful i, was, I became very fearless yeah. after that retreat and confident because i was addressing and releasing so many inner kind of darknesses like their whole retreat the purpose of it was to see and purify anything impure within myself so it was on purpose like bringing up all the things and looking at them doing practices to release them and because of that, uh, like looking and addressing all these things I was afraid of inside myself, I became a lot more fearless and just just so vibrantly alive after that. So I moved to Florida like that, did, um, you'll never guess, more retreat in Florida. It was another one of those month-long retreats where you do 100,000 mantras wow. in the little room with 10 people. Mm-hmm. And during that retreat, they asked me to be the teacher of a center in Fort Myers, so I said, yes. And that's what I always wanted to do was to be a resident teacher. Finally, I was given the opportunity. I moved to Fort Myers, Florida, and I started teaching uh, eight classes per week on average. I designed the spiritual program. I trained the other teachers. I kind of facilitated the prayer ceremonies and all that stuff. And that, you know, up until that point was the highest amount of personal growth that I did as well, you know, teaching full time brought out the best in me and it kind of put me at the top of my game every single day. I made extreme progress that year too. I had done, you know, before and the retreat certainly helped, but that year I became really able to communicate with something higher and divine and then to like channel it. So I got quite good at that that year and just showing a good example. Like I learned the real benefit of like all eyes on me let me demonstrate the practice without any words. Let me just show you. Mm-hmm. And that as well was so helpful for me. Wow. That's, I'm, I'm taking it all in. My mind's buzzing right now. As I was like, <laughs> this full, I mean, the experiences you've gone through nine weeks of, of just, ah, 
being with yourself and, and, and really dissecting everything and that awareness. And like you said, you, you were actually at the highest frequency you've ever experienced ever, you know, and that fearlessness and confidence. And I, I'm a big believer of when the student is ready, the teacher appears. And that's definitely what happened for you. You know, you were in this, you were ordained, you were in this place and you're like, well, uh, there's something else. There's something, there's a gap, there's something missing. And then the teacher appears and then you're on this other journey. You go through this nine weeks and then now you come out and you're like, you know, I mean, the podcast is called Summon Your Superhuman. You're at a superhuman level. What what do you think? Like, I mean, when you say I felt fearless, is it because you felt so aware of who you were and, and where you were going or, or that you were, or was it a, like what was the essence of yeah. that fearlessness? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, it may be hard to explain, but I'll try. So most of the things that we're afraid of aren't actually real. Most of the things that we're afraid of are, are things inside ourselves that aren't actually there, but that we believe in. So yeah. we're, we're, we're looking in these dark regions of our mind, the shadows, and we think there's like monsters lurking in those shadows. We think we think so. And as a result, we are afraid. People are afraid of getting quiet. People are afraid of, of that's the thing is it's hard to even see everything that they're scared of. People, and, and myself included, we're like, we can't even see or it's the fear is so deep and pervasive that we don't even know. We can't even like pinpoint it. But essentially what's happening is that we're believing there's a monster in the darkness or like a boogeyman in the closet. This is the best analogy I can think of is like a boogeyman in the closet. Mm-hmm. You guys, you know that, right? Yeah, From, yeah. That translates to so, Australian too. <laughs> okay, good, good. Yeah, so like imagine that like at night, like a kid is freaked out because of something that doesn't even exist. But, but it doesn't matter because they're, they're paralyzed with fear. And if you were to like really get honest with like people, we're all paralyzed with fear of certain things in like subtle, subtle ways. Yep. I'm afraid to say this thing to this person. I'm afraid to not show up to do this. I'm afraid to say no to this. I'm afraid to be myself today. I'm afraid to launch my business. I'm afraid to do a podcast and to speak my truth about this topic. We're afraid of like all these insane 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 things we are afraid of things that are that we have no reason to be afraid of mm-hmm. but but what's happening is we're, there's a darkness inside and we where our mind is projecting a monster in the darkness right we think something really bad is going to happen and you know think about the mother with the kid who's afraid of the boogeyman the mother doesn't have to get rid of the boogeyman the thing that the kid's afraid of does not have to be removed. All you have to do is shine the light. All you have to do is shine the light in the darkness to see that there's nothing there. And then the belief in it goes, and then the fear goes. The fear is kept in place because of a belief in something that's not there. Mm -hmm. And when you do a lot of exploration inside and you're always shining this light, shining this light, like looking, shining the light. Most of us, as soon as our mind starts to see something it doesn't like, it immediately looks away. And one thing that can actually happen is this is actually why a lot of people fall asleep in meditation is, is not just because they're tired, 
It's not just because their mind is recalibrating. That's all part of it too. That's the, in those cases, it's good to sleep. But mm -hmm. another way that is not good is our mind goes deep enough to start to see something that it doesn't like. And our mind immediately looks away and we either try to get distracted or we go to sleep. But if we can like get our mind to engage with that thing and actually look at it, actually face it and mm -hmm. embrace it. And then we're shining the light. In this case of this retreat, I had certain practices I was doing with mantras and deities, and that brings in a lot of light. So I was bringing in like divine light into these darknesses of my mind and letting most of the, the crap, yeah, like letting it all purify. And in many cases, I noticed that the things that I was believing in weren't really there. They were, it was just a fake belief, but it was enough to paralyze me for something. And basically by doing this in a really deep way for weeks, I just noticed that when I came out, I was really confident. I was energized, but also, yeah, I just wasn't impeded by fears of things on the inside. All these silly fears, I just was not as stopped or limited by those. It, I was a lot more free. I became very free. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is freeing. It is freeing instead of running away and, and being afraid of what you might find, face it head on. You know, it's just with yeah. anything victorious, if you just face it head on and go through it, you break through, uh, you find immense power and, and freedom at the, at the end of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You said it beautifully. Thank you. That's, that's a really good analogy that you've, that you've just shared with us all. Um, where do I even want to go? Because it's just like, I, I think you really hit the nail on the head with that. So, so John, you're a leader of light now. This is how we, we came to meet and mm. with your community of, of leaders of light and, and me being able to share with your community. And what is, what would you say now is, so you've, you were teaching, what, what, what would you say you're, you're doing now? Like, what is your day today? Like now? Um, Okay. Yeah. So now I have a coaching business. So I've kind of transitioned into the world of online coaching. Mm -hmm. um, I think coaching is the best business model for a person who has a skill, especially some kind of transformative or helping skill. Uh, I think coaching is the best business model these days, just right now it just is. Uh, and so I learned that over time and eventually decided to be a coach and yeah, I was able to launch my own spiritual coaching business, get a lot of clients for myself. And I had previously done, um, along the way, I had learned enough marketing to help other people with, with their marketing and get, getting them clients. So now I kind of combine that where I coach people, mostly right now I'm coaching people on the business side. Mm -hmm. So they want to grow their business. They're like a healer or a coach or a spiritual entrepreneur, and they want to grow their business. And usually I help people who are still, uh, they're still trying to figure out how to have uh, five figure months. They're not, they're not there. So I'd say they're, my people are usually in the early stages of, uh, they're just getting their first few clients or they've gotten clients, but they're, they're free or they're low ticket. And they just need someone to help them with a high, to create a high ticket coaching program. And they're spiritual. My clients are all heart centered or spiritual or good-hearted, or whatever word you want to call it. So that's who I work with. And if there's there's inner stuff 
So I don't right now, I'm not putting myself out there that much as like, hey, I'll help you with all the inner things. But I but I do like all that stuff is really what comes up. And you know that from your work too. Yeah. It's the inner things that make the big difference. And so I'm coaching people like that. And um, I'm also teaching them marketing and that kind of stuff. That's wonderful. So my day-to-day is, yeah, I have uh, I have client calls. I do interviews with people, do sales calls. I create content. I go to the beach. Mm. Um, it was just my birthday on Monday. And I just uh, took the advice of a friend and just did something fun. So I went to Miami and uh, took a few days where I didn't really work much at all. And now I just got back last night. And even though I'm back, I still went to the beach. It's not like I wa- I didn't even want to go to the beach today. But I had been working. I did some work in the morning downtown, and I just knew. I just I just allowed myself to be guided, right? Yep. And the guidance was pointing me to the beach, and so I did. <laughs> and so, and now I just I got back right before this interview. Mm-hmm. Pretty much, I got back, yeah, right before this interview. I think there's two really important points to take away from what you just said, and one is, you you've gotten to a point where you you're you're doing something that you love and passionate about and just like you said we we put ourselves in the world in a certain way but when people work with us they get so much more than they bargain for <laughs> um but you're li- living a, a life by design so to speak you know it's it's a that that lights us up fills our cup and it's because of point two is you're allowing yourself to be guided to to have that faith that you're in the right path and yeah it's just it's a beautiful thing to not have to question what what's next you just know I'm in the right place this is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing and the journey I'm supposed to be taking and just allowing yourself to be guided takes a lot of trust in yourself and that is that fearlessness that you spoke about earlier it's Mm -hmm. it's really relinquishing that and just and having that faith to move forward and to push forward doing what is is truly within your heart so that it's very clear that that's what you're that's how you live now john thank you i appreciate that and do my very best yeah so i wanted to ask you and this question i ask everybody is what does summoning your superhuman mean to you Hmm. good question summoning my superhuman Right now, what that means to me is trying to find the best, trying to find ways to bring out my best more of the time. So I think that we all have so much good within us and we don't always play at our highest level, right? And so how can I bring out my best more of the time? How can I, I'm not an employee anymore. Like I don't have a lot external things kind of holding me accountable. I have client calls and stuff, which helps, but like, yeah, how can I set up my day to bring out my best more of the time? And that's sort of how I'm thinking of it these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really felt that in my soul. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. I really truly did because it's like, you just, I mean, I can see like the S on your chest now, like that's your superhuman <laughs> um ability and you and i've spoken about the beauty of being presence and and presence and all yeah. of these wonderful things and and that is it's 
how do I be my best self in every moment moving forward? And uh, I just, I, I can't elaborate the, on that even more. So I think that's beautiful. Thank I want you. to um, encourage anyone that is wanting to learn more about their spiritual journey to please do so. Let yourself be guided to wherever you feel it needs to go. You know, like that book that John found, um, he had had it for years, you know, and, and it called to him. So just allow yourself to be guided to the next step and, and be true and, and be you. And I want to thank you so much, John, for sharing your story with us. I, I know I was pretty quiet for most of it, but I really was just listening and taking in um, everything that you said. And uh, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. It's nice chatting with you. I love sharing my story. Thank you, everyone who's listening or watching this. And um, yeah, can I tell them about my free masterclass that they could go Absolutely. Go for it. Yeah. So it's at connectingamazingpeople.com. So www.connectingamazingpeople.com. This is like my, my motto now. I found my, my real superpower is, is connecting, is connection. And so connecting amazing people for me means connecting them to each other, but also connecting them to their own potential, connecting them to something divine that they can access on the inside, but also, yeah, connecting, connecting coaches to clients, connecting clients to coaches. That's part of my mission as well. So I'm here to help amazing people connect with each other and amazing people to connect to even more amazing things within them. And uh, that's why I'm using this domain. And right now there's a free masterclass at that website. You just go to www.connectingamazingpeople.com. You can watch it for free. It's like 30 minutes long. And then it, I also, at the end of that, I tell you about like my program if anybody's interested. So. Awesome. Thank you so much for All sharing. All right. My pleasure. Thank you so and much for having me. Belated happy birthday. I didn't say that before. Belated oh, happy birthday. <laughs> and there you have it. A bit of a lengthy one, but I hope that you can appreciate why I really wanted to honor the journey in detail. Because if if you can see and hear the different paths that he came across along the way, and even upon reflection, how he had examined if I had gone this way, that might have happened. And often that fear of, oh, what if this is the right path? stops us in our tracks from really going after what our heart is calling for us to do. So I think it's it's just a really good example to see that if we just allow ourselves to have some trust and just follow wherever the road may lead. And now he's in a place where he's truly feeling fulfilled in his day-to-day so it's just some, some ni- something nice to think about. And I, I hope that, uh, and, and thank you for listening this far, because I really think that it needed to be listened to from start to finish. That's why I didn't chop this in half. So without further ado, make sure that you strengthen your mind, body and soul muscles, superhuman. Until next time, stay amazing. Please like, share, subscribe so make sure that you never miss out on when these weekly episodes go live i may even surprise you and drop a midweek (laughs) nonetheless 
I appreciate all your support. If you could please leave a review, I would greatly appreciate that. I love hearing all of you that tell me that you're listening to the show and love it. It really, it really makes me just love doing this even more. So thank you all. Till next week.